Well, hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Together, we'll go on a stroll through the archives and discover some intriguing tales about people and events that happened in the past, all of which will be brought to life by an array of amazing voice talent from across the world. We have stories about a huge variety of subjects, from activists to war heroes, creatives and, of course, murderers. We have it all, so get ready for the latest installment of the Backtracker History Show, bringing the past back to life. I am very excited about this particular episode because it's all about an iconic band that made musical history. I am, of course, talking about the Beatles. If you've listened to the show before, you'll know that it's around this time that I give you a feel for what else was going on around the time of the instant. But this week is slightly different because I'll be talking about a whole decade in which various things occurred. So let's talk about the 60s. And we start with the 9th of December 1960, when Coronation Street first aired. It wasn't a success at first. In fact, the Daily Mirror columnist Ken Irwin claimed the series would only last three weeks. Well, it's been 63 years now and counting. In more global history, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous speech, one of the most significant historical moments of the 1960s. He was speaking before a crowd of 250,000 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on the 28th of August 1963. That speech, known as the I Have a Dream speech, marked a turning point in the civil rights movement in America. It's one of the most iconic speeches in American history. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Sadly, Martin Luther King Jr. was fatally shot at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th, 1968 at 6.01pm. Another historically significant assassination in the 60s was that of President Kennedy by Lee Harvey Oswald on the 22nd of November 1963. Just three years earlier, JFK won the presidential election against Richard Nixon, and he holds the distinction of being the youngest person ever to be elected president. On the 21st of April 1964, BBC Two went on air and was Europe's first channel to have colour in 1967. British television at the time of BBC Two's launch consisted of two channels, the BBC Television Service and the ITV Network, made up of smaller regional companies. On the 20th of July 1969, the human race defied the odds by stepping foot on the moon. The honour of being the first one, of course, goes to Neil Armstrong, and he marked the momentous occasion with his famous line. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. 
And lastly, on the 10th of November 1969, Sesame Street debuted on American television. This groundbreaking children's show featured a combination of live actors, puppets and animation, and has since touched the lives of more than 80 million children and continues to be watched in households across the world to this day. The UK saw the launch of many classic cars. For instance, the Capri was launched in 1961, the console Cortina 63 and the Ford Escort in 1968, replacing the Anglia. And lastly, if you like games, you'll love this bit because the 60s saw some amazing games come out. For instance, 1960, Etch-A-Sketch, 61, Scale Electrics, 62, Mousetrap, 63, Cindy, 64, Mr. Potato Head. Action Man came out in 1966 and Kaplunk in 67. Word of the Week And the word I'm offering up this week is... Zephyrian, which you can use to describe a slightly breezy day. Before we start, I'd just like to say that all the voice actors in today's show are just going to be reading in their normal voices. I've told them to not even bother trying a Liverpudlian accent because I didn't want to offend any true Liverpudlians. Our first tale occurred on Tuesday, November the 10th, 1964, and it's one of pop music's most notable dates, the last night of the final full-length Beatles British tour, and the night John, Paul, George and Ringo were well and truly bombed. The place was the Colston Hall, now called the Bristol Beacon, where the Fab Four headed a 10-act bill, which also included top Tamla Motown singer Mary Wells, the one who sang My Guy. This was her first visit to the UK ever. And John Lennon said of Mary, We always regarded Mary, the miracles and other people like that as our private property, because we were raving about them when no one else seemed to have heard of them. It was great having Mary on the tour with us. And so, in the dressing room of the Colston Hall, before the concert, the press were waiting eagerly for this singing sensation to turn up. Their first inkling that the Fab Four were nearby was the volley of screams that penetrated the quiet upstairs foyer of the theatre. One middle-aged reporter said, Oops, here we go. Can somebody tell me which one is which? The TV guys switched on their lights, the photographers squinted through their viewfinders, and the journalists juggled with notebooks and pencils. I know one of them is called Ringo. Could somebody point him out? There was a clatter of feet, and then the Beatles appeared in single file through the doorway, wide grins on their faces, making their way straight to the bar. The press started firing questions. How do you feel? What are you doing these days? George Harrison declared... I spend my spare time shooting potatoes off of trees in the garden. I started with bits of cardboard on the clothesline, but cardboard doesn't do anything very spectacular when you hit it. So now I balance spuds in the trees and blast them to bits. At this point, a television man shoved his mic between the reporters towards George, 
George then clinked his glass on it and shouted, Cheers! During this interview in the then Colston Hall, Ringo had retired to a quiet corner of the room. And meanwhile, in another area of the room, the middle-aged reporter from earlier had cornered Paul, thinking he was talking to Ringo. Eventually, when Ringo was interviewed, he said, Press conferences can be quite a laugh. Have a ciggy. Then they discussed Ringo's new image. Since the film, people seem to notice me a bit more. They used to talk to the others and leave me out because I was supposed to be the quiet one. Actually, I can be quite noisy. I used to feel rather out of it, but now I feel like a proper beetle. It's amazing, though, how many people still can't tell us apart. Reports still ask me, how are you, John? Word on the street. Today, let us venture forth to Manor Road in BS16 in Bristol, where the Yelland family, many of whom are buried in St Mary's Churchyard, occupied the Manor House, which stood here for many years. There are memorials to them in the church. This road was formerly known as Madhouse Lane because, it is rumoured, a man called Dr Joseph Mason established a private asylum here in the 18th century. When John Lennon was interviewed, he was asked if the Beatles' popularity was slipping. John replied, The press have gone to town on the places where there have only been a couple of hundred kids outside the theatre instead of a couple of thousand. They haven't bothered to report on places like Leeds, where there were 15 of the kids on stage at any one time. Last year that would have been news. It doesn't bother us, we're sold out pretty well everywhere. Can you think of another group that's filling halls at the moment? The Stones aren't. Interestingly, the Stones and the Beatles were initially friends. On April 14th, 1963, spurred on by their respective then-managers, the Beatles went to hear the Stones at a pub in Richmond, when the Stones were still a blues cover band. Then afterwards they went to an apartment building in Chelsea and partied till four in the morning. And later that same year, George Harrison recommended them to the head of Decca Records. By chance, Lennon and McCartney ran into the Stones on the street and learned the group was recording. They then all rushed over to Delane Lee studio and as the amazed Stones watched on, purportedly stood in a corner and turned a verse they already had into a completed song for the other group to cover. It was released as the Stones' second single and reached number 12 in the UK, a big leap over their debut single. They were still friends in 67 and if you look at the cover of the Sgt Pepper album, it has a doll with an emblem reading Welcome the Rolling Stones. And in return, the Stones subtly worked the Beatles into the artwork of their Satanic Majesty's request. And as we're doing so, and as this particular episode is talking about concerts in Bristol, here's one about the Stones. When in 1971, the guitarist, the late Brian Jones, was delayed on his way to the Colston Hall, at which the MC was also called Brian Jones. 
When the musical version finally arrived, he was refused entry by the security man, who insisted Brian Jones was already on stage. It took the Rolling Stones, Brian Jones, 45 minutes and an appeal to local police before he could get into the hall in time for the second performance of the evening. The Beatles were paid £850 for their two Bristol shows and were there as an end-of-term euphoria at the close of an astonishing tour with an extraordinary year in which Beatlemania had become a worldwide phenomenon. The film, A Hard Day's Night, had rocketed them to the top of the box office charts at the world cinemas. They had sold records by the million, and their American tour had been one of the greatest successes in showbiz history. This was all within little more than ten months. Towards the end of the second show, though, the girls were screaming so loudly you couldn't hear a note that was being played or a word that was being sung. Some bright spark who'd clambered into the roof space high above the stage dropped a bag of flour on the world's most famous pop stars. The bag exploded perfectly, covering the Beatles with flour. Ringo had to clear his drums while John, Paul and George fell about shrieking with laughter. No one claimed responsibility, but the prank was probably the work of one of the road crew, part of the tradition of end-of-tour fun and games. The Beatles did play a very brief British tour the following year, but by then they'd had more than enough of life on the road. And the number they were playing when the flower tumbled that night in Bristol was If I Fell. The Beatles played at the Colston Hall on three occasions, March the 15th, 1963, as support to American rockers Chris Montez and Tommy Rowe, on November the 15th, 1963, on their own autumn tour, and again on this tour, which occurred on November the 10th, 1964, with Tamla Motown singer Mary Wells. George Harrison also made an unscheduled appearance in Bristol, on December 2nd, 1969, when he performed with American soul duo Delaney and Bonnie. It was his first live performance since the Beatles quit touring in 1966. It's hard to believe, but the centre of Bristol was the inspiration for one of the Beatles' biggest smash hits, You see, Paul McCartney was in Bristol in November 1965 to join his 19-year-old actress girlfriend Jane Asher, who was appearing in the title role of a new play, Cleo, by Frank Marcus at the Bristol Old Vic's Theatre Royal in King Street and breaking box office records at the time. Paul popped down to Bristol from time to time during the play's run and one evening while Jane was on stage at the Theatre Royal, He went for a walk through the nearby streets, covering his face with a scarf and hat, because at the time Beatlemania was at its height, and if anyone had recognised him, he would have been mobbed. And while he was walking, a theme was buzzing around in his head about a girl called Daisy Hawkins. But the name somehow really didn't fit with the tune he'd been tinkering with alongside his collaborator John Lennon. Daisy, Daisy. 
he thought maybe something different like Eleanor. And then Paul glanced at a shop on the city centre and saw the shopkeeper's name of Rigby. That's when everything fell into place and a classic tune was born. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled and settle back to enjoy a selection of 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Whether you're a fan of cosy mysteries, horror, romantic comedies, science fiction or anything else you might find on the bookcase, Being Bookish is a great place to start. Join me, your host Ray, as I take a joyride through the books on my bookshelves and journey into new territories with recommendations every week. You may even hear a few interviews with authors along the way. Find every episode of Being Bookish wherever you find your podcasts. In the news today, a man was seen showing his friend around his tool shed and pointing at his ladder. He said, that's my stepladder. I never knew my real ladder. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 3rd of June 1969, off the coast of South Vietnam, when the Australian aircraft carrier HMAS Melbourne cuts the US Navy destroyer USS Frank E. Evans in half, resulting in 74 deaths. On the 4th of June 1561, the steeple of St Paul's, the medieval Cathedral of London, is destroyed in a fire caused by lightning and is never rebuilt. On the 5th of June 1829, HMS Pickle captures the armed slave ship Volodaro off the coast of Cuba. On the 6th of June 1844, the Young Men's Christian Association, or YMCA, is founded in London by Sir George Williams, who was an English philanthropist and businessman. The YMCA, sometimes called the Y, is a worldwide youth organisation based in Geneva, Switzerland now, with more than 64 million beneficiaries in 120 countries. On the 7th of June 1975, Sony launches Betamax, the first video cassette recorder format. The 8th of June 1962 sees the birth of Nick Rhodes, British keyboardist for Duran Duran. He was born in Moseley, Birmingham, England. And lastly, on the 8th of June 1982, we see the Bluff Cove air attacks during the Falklands War, when 56 British servicemen are killed by an Argentine air attack on two landing ships, RFA Sir Galahad and RFA Sir Tristram. I hope you enjoyed today's Beatle-themed episode, but I'm afraid that's it from me. I'd like to thank the real stars of the show, and I'm not talking about the Beatles. This week, we have our very own Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Joe Wilson, David Brindley-Hale, Molly Jeffries, and Griff. Thank you, one and all. 
Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.